you turn with me to the book of 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, the passage that we'll be looking at this morning. And so often when we look into the future, we have ideas that we're not quite sure, sure how they will work out. But oftentimes we have plans of the way things will go. I know when I was younger and I figured that I was going into ministry and I surrendered to ministry, um, at a very young age, I kind of had a perception of what ministry would look like, uh, what that would be in my life. Um, I was pretty certain I was going to Wheaton Carey College. Uh, I was fairly certain after that I was going to New Orleans Seminary. So I had those two things kind of laid out in my life without a whole lot of you know, ordeal or, or even uh, decision-making process. I figured after that I would kind of graduate seminary and would find me a church and play golf. Um, I'd, I'd already been mentored by a pastor who told me all you had to do was go to the golf course and leave a message with the secretary to tell him that you were visiting the greens uh, and everything would be fine. Uh, so I, I had all this laid out and I was going to play golf and I was going to pastor and, and that was going to be my life. And then as things developed and things went on, I ended up spending 10 years doing youth ministry. Uh, which I fell in love with. The only reason I left uh, where I was doing youth ministry was to go and uh, seek out a Ph.D., which was nowhere on my radar when I was called into ministry. Um, I can remember uh, one of the ministers that was working with me looked at me and said, do you know going into ministry, one of the very first things that you need to take hold of and grasp is that you need to be a scholar? And I went, what is he talking about? I've met preachers all my life that aren't scholars. Uh, and I don't really think that's what I'm being called into. I'm being called into being a preacher, not a scholar. But it became to, uh, I became aware of what he was speaking of to, to understand the dynamics of the scriptures and the way they apply in modern era. It was not something that I aware, was aware of at the first of my calling, but I became aware of it as God called me. And just to be honest with you, as I look back over the, 20 years or so that I've been in the ministry, ministry has not presented itself in my life as I thought it would back when I was being called in ministry, but that's the way life goes. Most of us are shocked by realities no matter what changes take place in life. Many of us probably can look back to the days we got married, and maybe marriage is a little different than what we probably perceived it to be. I mean, I've known children who've looked at me and said, man, all I want to be is an adult. Adults get to do whatever they want. I don't know what adults they know. Uh, I don't get to do what I want on a daily basis. So, so the way we perceive things going is not necessarily the way they work out. And sometimes we have this notion of what things should be. And, and I think we have a notion of what ministry should be. I think we have a notion of what church should be. I think we have a notion of what it looks like to go out and to minister in the world. But sometimes... Ministry itself can get ugly. Sometimes it can get hard. Sometimes it can be more of a challenge than we ever expected it to be from a perspective of the church. And, and I think what Paul kind of tells the people in Thessalonica is remember what my ministry was like to you. And, and from that, we might glean what it is to minister to a world that is hurting. We might glean from that what it is to truly do the job that God has called us to as individuals and as a church family. So I want us to look at chapter 2 and see what Paul says about his ministry there in Thessalonica and see what it is that we can take from that as we minister in the world that we are in here in 2018. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, 
we'll kind of look at Paul going back and reviewing briefly his ministry to the church there in Thessalonica. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, <coughs> beginning in verse 1. Paul writes this, he says, You know, brothers, that our... spite of strong opposition for the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives nor are we trying to trick you on the contrary we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel we are not trying to please men but God who tests our hearts you know we never use flattery nor did we put a mask to cover up greed God is our witness we were not looking for praise from men not from you or anyone else as apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you, but we were gentle among you, like a mother carrying her little children. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. Surely you remember, brothers, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. Your witnesses... And so was God of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. For you, brothers, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own countrymen the same things those churches suffered from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. They displeased God and are hostile to all men in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved in this way. They always heap up their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. But brothers, when we are torn away from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intent, <clears throat> intense longing, we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you, certainly. I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan stopped us. For what is our hope, our joy, our crown in which we will be in glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. Now, as you read chapter 2 of Thessalonians, one of the things that kind of becomes clear are some of the complaints that the church in Thessalonica might have had against Paul. Because Paul is addressing a number of things and saying, look, you remember this. You know this. It is in, in some way, it, it is what you perceived in us and you are aware of how we lived life and how we ministered among you. Here in chapter 2, he begins, he says, You know, brothers, that our visit to you was not a failure. We had previously suffered and been insulted in Philippi, as you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in spite of strong opposition. We have this notion that Paul had suffered great things even before he came to Thessalonica. In Acts chapter 16, you can read about the struggles that he had in Philippi. And as he went and ventured on beyond Philippi, it was struggles that he had. 
Guys, doors don't open up to us easily oftentimes. There are challenges that we must face to impact people. And life does not just come easy to us, nor does ministry. What Paul experienced in Philippi was an unjust arrest. He was beaten publicly against the law. These are things that he experienced trying to take the gospel to different people. Taking the gospel message to different people groups is one of the greatest challenges that we face, but it is one of the greatest calls God has given us. It's not easy. It was never promised to be easy. I would imagine when Christ gave the great commission to his disciples and said, go to the four corners of the earth, go everywhere, go to all nations, that would have been mind-boggling to them. We live in a day and time where we type a word on a computer screen and it's seen across the world. They lived in a day and time that they would have not even understood the expansive nature of the world. They would have walked everywhere they went. He would have wanted, they would have been, their minds would have been blown by the notion of going everywhere in the world. It's a challenge. It's something that we must face continually. It's something that we must strive to accomplish or we will never accomplish it. Paul recognizes the struggles that he faced coming to Thessalonica, and he recognizes the struggles that he faced in Thessalonica. One of the things that I want to tell you as a church, as we minister to the world out there, we are going to face challenges no matter where we go. We're going to face challenges every single day, and no matter where our ministry takes us, those are challenges that we must overcome. And the only way to overcome those challenges is to walk in the Spirit of God. In other words, to walk by his power, to exist in his love, to know who he is and to be in his presence continually. That's how Paul did it. When Paul and Silas were arrested, Paul and Silas did not lose heart. Paul and Silas did not give up. Paul and Silas continued their ministry even from a jail cell. Guys, what we have to do is we have to be individuals who persevere and overcome. In in, in the book of Hebrews... It it talks constantly about perseverance as one of the great characteristics of the Christian life. There's an understanding in the early church that if you want to accomplish the things that God has set before you, then you are going to have to persevere great challenges. It's no different in our world today. If we are going to accomplish the things that God set before us as Goodyear Baptist Church, we're going to face those challenges and we're going to have to overcome those challenges And to overcome those challenges, we are going to have to persevere. The great news about that is perseverance, as the scriptures teach us, teach us character. So each and every one of us will grow stronger as individuals if we are willing to persevere by the power and the grace of God and overcome the challenges that face us on a daily basis. So we must be prepared for the challenges that will be heaped up in our way. In verse 3, he says, For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motive. Nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please men, but God who tests our hearts. You know we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from men, not from you or anyone else. Paul says, look, we were honest. When we came to you, we were just forthright. We were honest about the gospel. We were honest about our claims. We were honest individuals. One of the things that we have to remain as individuals and people of God, as disciples of Christ, we have to be honest. 
Paul says, we didn't come to you with flattery. We didn't come to you with lies. We didn't come with you as trickery. We just put the truth before you. Friends, in the world in which we live in, we have to be honest people. We don't have to worry about propaganda. We don't have to worry about flattering individuals. We don't have to worry about tricking individuals. We have to be honest before them. It's one of our greatest calls is to be true to who we are and to who the gospel is. And that sounds obvious. But why would we go lie to people? Why would we go tell stories? Well, let me tell you, one of the reasons that the church is seen as hypocrites today is because we lie all the time. We present ourselves as people who do not have struggles. We present ourselves as people who do not fail on a daily basis. We present ourselves as people who are not entrapped with this sin nature that we battle every day of our life. Do you remember Paul when he stood before people and he said, look, I'm the chief of sinners? If you are going to minister to a world, if you're going to take the gospel to the world, you're going to have to be honest, not just about gospel principles, but you're also going to have to be honest about who you are and who you are in that world. Guys, it's so much more meaningful when you truly encounter someone in the world for them to understand that you have the same struggles that they have. You are just fighting to overcome them on a daily basis with the power of God. And not that you are superior to them because you've overcome some of those challenges already, but that you know what they are walking through and your heart breaks with them. That as they cry, you will cry with them. That is the kind of honesty that we need. We need honesty about who God is. We need honesty about what the scriptures say. And we need honesty about who we are as individuals. That is something that absolutely must take place in the world. And if we cannot deliver it in this honest way, if we cannot portray ourselves as who we really are, then we are never going to reach the world in which we live in. People do not want individuals who can stand up upon a pedestal and tell them what to do in life. They want individuals who can live with them, to walk with them, to carry them when necessary. He says, we did not come to you to please you. We only sought to please God. Our priorities have to remain in the proper place. It is a very difficult thing to live in this world in such a way that you don't care about pleasing people. It's just a part of who we are. We want people to like us. We want people to kind of, to, to, to appreciate us. One of the challenges that I had in youth ministry constantly in those 10 years that I was a youth minister is that balance of what is being a friend with one of them and what is being an authority figure to one of them. And I had that in a classroom as well. I mean, I can walk around as though it's not an issue for me whether people like me or not, but really deep down all people have this kind of sense of desire about whether someone finds them appealing or likes them. Now, for the most part, as adults, we grow into people who we're fairly comfortable with who we are, and that doesn't matter as much to us. As I taught class uh, in, in sixth grade, I had some students tell me that my class was boring. They didn't like what I was teaching. Most of them liked it. Most of them was probably trying to get a little bit under my skin when they said that. I looked at them and said, well, 
I'm not here to have you like it. I'm here to teach you something. Well, it is boring when it's education. I mean, 100% of people have been bored in school at some point in time. That's why most kids don't jump up out of bed and want to run to school. I mean, there's boring aspects to it. If you figure out how to make everything in school exciting, I would love to read the book you write. It's boring. Some of it is anyway. But when you teach a class, you don't teach a class through a motivation, is everybody going to like me at the end of this lesson? If you do, God bless you. Because I wouldn't even know how to prepare a lesson where everybody in the room would like me. But deep down, kind of somewhere in it, we want people to respond to us well. We want them to like us. And what Paul is saying here is when you do ministry, there is one person you have to please. And that's God. You do the things God's called you to do. You honor God in everything that you do. You strive to answer the call that God has given you. That's the way you become successful in ministry. If you're trying to please people, one, you're not going to be successful in ministry. Two, you're probably not going to be honest because most people don't like you when you're honest. And, and, and third of all, you're going to move away from the gospel message. I knew a church one time who did a survey of what the community wanted. And they were going to shape what the church was based on kind of what the community desires were. That is so backwards. Think about that. Instead of going to the scriptures and saying, what should the church be? They went to the world and said, what do you want us to be? Because that's not the way you do ministry. You don't go to the world and say, what do you want us to offer you? And I can't even begin to tell you what some of the answers were that they had. But you don't go to the world and say, what do we need to be? That's when you're trying to please the world. What the church must do is they must seek after God and his guidance and say, this is who he's called us to be. In a world we're going to be very different from, but that's what the world needs. They don't need more people like them. They don't need individuals who uh, lie, cheat, steal, do all the things that Paul lists under the flesh. They need individuals who will walk by the Spirit, who will walk in His grace, who are being sanctified daily by the Spirit of God. That's what the world needs. They need the grace and the mercy and the love of God. They need to see what it is for individuals who have been forgiven to walk in His power and His grace. They need to understand what it is to be loved by God unconditionally. Those are things that our world needs. And that's what we must take to them. We do not live to please people. We live to please our God. He goes on, he says this in verse, <coughs> excuse me, verse 6 and 7. As the apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you. But we were gentle among you like a mother caring for her children. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. Surely you remember, brothers, our toil and our hardship. We worked day and night in order uh, to be a, uh, not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel to you or preached the gospel of God to you. As Paul says here, is we could have been a burden to you, but we came to you as though we were caring for little children. 
because we don't go into the world with hostility, we don't go into the world with judgment, we don't go into the world just correcting the world, you go into the world with gentleness, with humility. Christ, who has all authority over heaven and earth, who one day, it says, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he is Lord. When he came into the world, he was a humble man. When he came into the world, he came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came not to seek power, not to seek authority. He came in humility to sacrifice himself so that others might find life and they might know it more abundantly. That's our model. That's our model. We struggle to follow that model because we like to strive for positions of power and authority. It's not who we are. We are people of sacrifice. We are people who share grace. He says we came to you with gentleness. Not only did he say that we came to you with gentleness, he said we were willing not only to share the gospel of Christ with you, but we were willing to share our lives with you. You know what people really need in this world? Not people who can just share scripture with them. Is that what something they need? Absolutely. But they don't need somebody just to preach at them. They don't need somebody just to declare what they're doing wrong and what they're doing right. They need somebody who's not only willing to share the gospel with them, but who's willing to share their lives with them. That's what the church is all about. That's what we are about. When individuals come into our church, it's not so that we can proclaim scripture after scripture after scripture. I hope when somebody comes through the doors of our church, they're introduced to scriptural concepts and the gospel of God. But what we are called to do is go even beyond that, to invest in the lives of people, to care about their pain, to care about their agony, to care about their journey, to walk with them, to cry with them, to rejoice with them, to be connected to them in such a way that they are upon our hearts and our minds. That's connecting to their life. That's what true ministry is. It's not just the proclamation of words, but it's the investment into lives of others. It's difficult. That's difficult because most of us have enough family problems or enough problems with friends or enough problems at work that we have enough problems to take care of on our own. We don't need a conglomeration of more problems, but truly, what we do as Christians is we share our lives with one another. Paul says in the book of Romans that when one rejoices, we all rejoice. When one cries, we all cry. That is the connectivity that exists within the family of believers. That is the connectivity that exists within the church. That's what we have to find within ourselves. If we want to minister then we've got to be the people who will share our lives with individuals, not just a message. He goes on, he says, You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believe. For you know that we dealt with you 
Each as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. And we also thank God continually because when you were received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but it actually is the word of God, which is the work in you who believe. For you, brothers, became imitators of God in churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own countrymen the same things those churches suffered from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. They displeased God and are hostile to all men in the effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. In this way, they always heap up their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. Think about the challenges that Paul faced daily in the ministry here in Thessalonica. He faced a challenge from the religious community. He faced a challenge from the Jewish people. There's really no indication within Scripture exactly what Paul's referencing here. Any kind of moment where the Jews looked at him and went, do not go and proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles. But, but what Paul is saying is something that we're very aware of. It was a feeling that the Jewish people had toward Paul because Paul took the message to the Gentiles in a different way than the Jewish people would have ever wanted. Jewish people were not against Gentiles becoming Jews. It's proselytes. If they wanted to become Jews, they could become Jews, but they had to follow Jewish principle, Jewish code, Jewish law. And what Paul did was he shifted that and said, no, you can find faith in God and you can have a relationship with God through Christ Jesus without becoming Jewish. There was no doubt he faced some hostility from the Jewish community. You see in Galatians, he's kind of very hostile toward what he calls the Judaizers. There's that hostility there. Paul had to face criticism. Paul had to face being arrested. Paul had to face being beaten. Paul had to face a lot of challenges from the religious community saying, you're not doing what you need to do. But Paul was willing to face all of it. And because Paul was willing to face all of it, Paul says this church embraced that as well. And they would not succumb to the pressure of the Judaizers. But they became like he was, a person who sought after serving God. Paul faced the challenge of working. Just in the previous passage, Paul talked about how he worked night and day so that he would not be a burden upon other people. Paul did not go into a church and and ask that church to fully support him. Paul worked. Paul was a tent maker. And Paul says a number of times within his epistles that he's very proud of the fact that that he didn't go in and expect a church to fully take care of him. He worked night and day so that he could bring the message of the gospel to people. Guys, delivering the message of the gospel to, to minister to people is not an easy task. It's not easy work. Paul says, I work night and day so that I got an opportunity to bring the gospel to you. Why did Paul go and do his job on a daily basis? So he would have an opportunity to deliver the gospel of Christ to people. He faced challenge after challenge, but he overcame those challenges. Are we willing to work night and day just so that we can get the gospel message out to people? Are we willing to work night and day so that we can answer the call that God has for us in our life? That's where Paul was. Are we willing to even face some of the harshest criticisms that may very well come from the religious community to do the things God's called us to do? 
are we bold enough to walk out on our own? I mean, think about some of the major changes that took place in church history. Luther, as he faced that challenge of kind of breaking away from what had come before him and the corruption that existed within the church at that time. But as he stood alone, there was a number of times. The challenge that Luther faced is, why should we believe your interpretation when we have years of tradition coming from trained priests? But Luther was willing to stand for what he believed was proper in Christianity. Do we just succumb because it gets difficult? Or will we be those people who face those great challenges so that we might truly answer the call God's given us? And he goes on and he says this, But brothers, when we were torn away from you for a short time in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you, certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan stopped us. For what is our hope, our joy, our crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and our joy. Why in the world would anybody want to minister? I remember I I, I was asked and my brother was asked to preach an ordination of a young man. And he did the challenge to the a candidate, and I did a challenge to the church. And the, the pastor who was at the church I was at came up to me, and he walked up to me, and he said, man, after you and your brother spoke about what ministry is, I don't think anybody in here wants to be a minister. Because what we spoke about was a reality that existed in ministry. We talked about how individuals oftentimes, when you need them the most, and when you need that support, find that many times you feel as though you're alone. Look in the scripture at the prophets. Look at Elijah running off to a mountaintop to find a cave so he can go die. As he leaves that place, he calls his follower, his one who will take his place, Elisha. And as he puts his cloak upon him, what does he say? What have I done to you, sir? There's a notion where it's a challenge you look at the life of Paul or if you look at any other minister within the Testament, ministry is a challenge. And guys, that's not just for professional ministers. That's for us all because we are called to be priests. So as you minister in the world that is around you, as you go out and you take the gospel with you, you're going to face those same challenges. So what inspires us to continue to minister even when we face that challenge day in and day out. And those challenges grow and it becomes more difficult and there's more obstacles and all we have to do is constantly talk to ourselves about persevering and persevering. How do we become the ministers God wants us to be? What is our motivation? And What Paul says is, look, when I was away from you, all I wanted was to get back to you. Why? What drove him? He says, For what is our hope, our joy, the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and our joy. Do you understand what Paul's saying? In other words, when I get before Christ and I'm in the presence of Christ, what is going to be my glory and my joy? We stand before Christ. One day when we're called home and we get to stand before Christ, 
what is the thing that, that, that comforts you that you can say to Christ? You can't look back at him and say, man, did you see my bank account? Jesus, I was rolling in it. You can't say, man, did you see my prestige? Everybody thought highly of me, my fame. What is the thing that you're going to rejoice with, with Christ? What is the thing that you're going to bring the table when you come and you see your Christ eye to eye and you're in the presence of God? What do you bring to him? Paul says, what my joy is in and what my glory is in is in you. Guys, what we are going to absolutely have joy over and what we're going to have glory over when we're in front of Christ is all the people who we've connected to and that we have prayed with and that we have cried with and that we have ministered to and that we have connected our lives to. Not just people that we've given a a passage of Scripture to or a verse to, but people we have connected with. People that we have poured ourselves into. That's the glory. That's the joy. That's what... That's what keeps us striving and going forward and persevering. It's one day I'll get to stand before Christ and what my glory and my joy will be in and what I've accomplished upon this earth is the people that I've impacted. When Christ says, do not store up for yourselves treasures upon this earth, for moth will eat them and rust will destroy them. Thieves will steal them. Build up for yourselves treasures that are in heaven of the eternal nature, where rust will not destroy, moth will not eat, nor thieves steal. What kind of treasures is he talking about? We store up ourselves treasures in heaven when we invest in the lives of people. When we move beyond the selfishness that we are born into and we actually connect our lives to others, Not just family, not just friends, but others. We understand ourselves as a part of humanity as a whole. We understand that by the very nature of me existing, I have an obligation to the other, whether I know the other or not. Whether I agree with the other or not. I have an obligation to them because they are a creation of my God. I must connect to them. I must minister to them. I must serve them. I must sacrifice for them. We stand before Christ. What will our glory be? What will our joy be? It will be the lives that we have connected to. The lives that we have shared with. Guys, our call as a church, our cause as an individual, is that we serve Christ in this manner. That we minister as the people of God reaching out constantly and consistently into the world. That we connect our lives, not in a harsh way, not in a judgmental way, but in a gentle way, walking with them and crying with them. Will we face challenges? Absolutely. Paul says, I wanted to get back to you more than you would ever know. But Satan kept stopping. We're going to face challenges. Those challenges are going to come from powers, principalities, other people. It might come from governments. It might come from... Those within the religious community, as Paul spoke of, about the Jewish community. Challenges are going to come from everywhere. It's not just going to be atheist, or it's not just going to be uh, another religion. It's going to come from everywhere. 
You'll face as many challenges coming from those who proclaim Christianity as you will face from those outside of Christianity. But challenges cannot stop us. We must overcome. We must strive and we must persevere so that we can truly answer the call that God has given us. Guys, don't give up. Continue to strive for all that God has called you to and invest your life in others so that they may understand what it is to know the grace of God, the mercy of God, and the love of God. That's our call, and we must continue to do it day in and day out. May we strive to be ministers much like Paul. May we strive not to be a burden upon them, but truly to be uplifting to them. May we strive to be honest and forthright. May we be individuals who not only proclaim the gospel well, but we also admit who we are. May we be individuals who one day get to stand before our Christ with joy, understanding that our life was not spent in vain, but we are connected to humanity. And that not only our families and our friends, but all of humanity was better for the time that we spent upon this earth. May we impact the world that is around us every day through God's power, through His grace, His mercy, and most of all, His love. Let us pray. God, we come before you this morning. I pray, Lord, as a church, we may minister in this way. We may serve you with diligence. We may serve you with perseverance. We may overcome any obstacle challenge that comes our way. Lord, not so that we may perceive ourselves as being victorious, but may we show you as victorious. For the victory that we have truly comes through Christ. And we do have victory in Jesus. Lord, I I come before you today and I pray that you would give us strength and conviction so that we might be honest, that we might be forthright, that we might be willing to serve and surrender to your mission and to your purpose. God, I pray that we would not walk that road individually, but we would walk it as a faith family, investing in the lives of all those who we come into contact with. May we be a people who truly strive to go to the very ends of this earth, to baptize, to make disciples, to bring people into the faith. But Lord, not just to proclaim verses, but to live those verses out, to connect, to bring into contact with our life another life, so that we may cry with them, we may hurt with them, we may rejoice with them. Lord, I pray that one day when we stand before our Lord, we may have glory and we may have joy in the fact that we have connected to individuals. We have walked with them through the faith. We have not only brought them to a point of salvation, but we have discipled them in the faith. May our lives not be spent in vain, but may they be invested in the kingdom of God. And we pray these things in your name. Morning, we'll have a time of invitation. Any decisions that need to be made in a public fashion, 
feel free to come forward at this time if you'll please stand.